Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to episode 72. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and today we have Guy and Rob Pendergrass. They are black belts from Gustavo Machado, and they are co-owners and operators of the Pendergrass Academy of Martial Arts. This was the first time I interviewed two people at the same time, and I believe you will enjoy this format. They shared their 30 years of martial arts experience. They talked about treating your business like a business, not as a hobby. And my takeaway from the interview came when we talked about what they call the if-only mindset. If I only had more money, if I only had more time, if I only had started earlier and so on, which inspired me to title this episode, Avoiding the If-Only Mindset. Stick around for my final thoughts after the interview when I expand on how to avoid the If-Only Mindset. Stay tuned right after Jiu-Jitsu Tribe's message. Oos. The BJJ Mental Coach Podcast is a proud supporter of the nonprofit organization Jiu-Jitsu Tribe, formerly Live Jiu-Jitsu. Jiu-Jitsu Tribe supports social projects who offer free jiu-jitsu classes to unprivileged children and young adults in impoverished communities, inspiring, impacting, and improving their lives, keeping them away from drugs and crime, creating hope, and creating champions on and off the mats. Your donation helps projects to pay for their monthly expenses and facility makeovers. As a supporter, the BJJ Mental Coach donate all the profit of all online courses and merchandise to Jiu-Jitsu Tribe. For more information, please visit www.jujitsutribe.org. Let me introduce you to today's guests, Guy and Rob Pendergrass. They are black belts from Gustavo Machado, and they're the co-owners and operators of the Pendergrass Academy of Martial Arts in Raleigh, North Carolina, founded in 2007. The Academy offers both BJJ and Muay Thai training and is Gustavo Machado's first affiliate academy. Guy and Rob, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so this, for all the listeners, this is episode 72, and that's the first time you're doing this dynamic of two, actually interviewing two guests. So let's see how that goes. So now just uh, tell us how more shorts, because I know you guys have been in more shorts for over 30 years. How did more shorts get into your life and eventually jiu-jitsu so who wants to go first you want to go guy uh, yes sir um so yeah back in the early 80s uh we took an interest in martial arts through the way a lot of people did uh we saw the karate kid um mm -hmm. you know we got hooked on it and we started doing karate back in 1988 if memory serves me correctly uh so that's how we initially got into a very traditional martial arts background uh we also eventually did some wing chun kung fu uh that was during college and then in 90, it was nine, uh, November 93, we watched the first UFC, uh, saw Hoist fight, and been doing jiu-jitsu ever since. Yeah, and what about you, Rob? Guys, it about the same journey? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Guy probably took a couple more classes prior to me, but I, I jumped on soon after he did. And, and like you said, we grew up watching movies, you know, the old uh, late-night kung fu movies and all the martial arts, maybe blood sport, you name it, we watched it. We would be out in the yard fighting and with, with swords and throwing <laughs> Chinese stars. And, you know, so it was, it's always been a part of something we've wanted to do. Yeah, I used to watch the Bruce Lee movies and put a slow mo to see, like, <laughs> wow, look at that. <laughs> so, how do you feel jujitsu relate to life? Go ahead, Ray. Well, it's for me, jujitsu is, to throw out a big word, is a microcosm of life. When you're on the mats, you have to deal with problems. I mean, from day one, we have people come in and because we have parents all the time ask us, well, how soon would there be contact? How soon would they be fighting, quote unquote? And we say day one, you know, for the most part. And for us, when someone's trying to choke you, when someone's grappling with you, when someone, you have to deal with this problem and you've got to be able to quickly problem solve it. So for me, uh, Jiu-Jitsu uh, is a very, you know, it, it can be quickly paced, and it's something that you have to, like I said before, you have to quickly problem solve 
in the moment. And the beautiful thing about it is we have a lot of adults who train. They come in, and when you're in the midst of grappling, you don't think about nothing else. All your problems go away. It's a great stress relief. So for me, those are like the biggest pieces when it comes to training. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Guy? Yeah, I agree with all of that. Um, for me, it's it's a representation of the ups and downs of life. You know, we, Rob and I lost our dad back in 2003, and that was the biggest loss of our life. And, you know, going through something like that that's so traumatic, um, it's it's great to be able to, to have something like jujitsu that teaches us that, you know, when life's got you down, you know, there's there's always tomorrow. And there's always a chance to to look ahead and appreciate the things you got, like being able to, to train jujitsu. So you guys opened the academy in 2007, correct? Yes, sir. officially, yes. Yeah, so when did you have the first spark that thought about, you know what, I think it'd be interesting if we have our own academy. When, how, long, uh, how long before 2007 that was? So when we were in college, you know, it's when we started doing jujitsu is when, you know, Hoyce fought in UFC for the first time. And even then it was a unique situation in that in order for us to be able to train, we'd have to teach, even though we didn't really know much because at the time in North Carolina, there were no, no academies, no teachers, no nothing. So out of necessity, we had to start running. We even, we actually were the first um, official jujitsu club at, at the university there. So in order for us to have a place to train, we started it, we went with it. Um, but as far as, as a business, I would say it wasn't until, I don't know if Robert would agree or not, um, we had moved to New York City in 2000. We trained at Henzo School up there. And when we moved back and we met Gustavo for the first time, I think that was around the time where we were like, you know, let's take it a little more serious in the sense of getting our own spot and, and moving ahead with um, having our own students. Yeah, and Rob, what did you say was some? How was the mindset back then about to open a school, having the dealing with the nerves? Like, okay, we're about to sign a lease and do something. So, how was the mindset back then? Well, you know, just kind of to rewind slightly, leading up to that, you know, we very much treated it as a hobby. You know, for so long, we 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 it was a it was I guess the best word it was a club. It ran up like a club. It was you know depending on where we are, we were in many locations. Uh, didn't know where we were living at the time, but maybe we paid a little bit of a rent, you know, and people gave us a little bit of money, but we weren't really, care we didn't care about uh, making money. Uh, and it was very laid back. It was very unstructured. Um, so up to that point, we did it for so long, it, it kind of carried over into the business a little bit, slightly. But, you know, quickly realization sets in. Back then, when we first started our academy, for at least the first five, six years, we, we literally made no money. In the sense of, we were very conservative. When we started our business, we got a little loan, nothing crazy. We got a small spot that we could fit in um, and, and still be, you know, professional. Um, but we just we took it very slow. We both worked full time. We only taught at night. Uh, the beautiful thing is, since we're brothers and we're able to kind of split up uh, a lot of things, he would teach Monday, Tuesday. I teach Wednesday, Thursday. We alternate on Saturdays. So that did help, um, but we quickly started to make it more professional, you know, to be uh, systematic and to have, uh, as best as we could, beginner class, dance class, things of that nature. So it, it quickly took on a life of its own. We thought we knew what we were doing from a business standpoint, and I'm sure we'll get into that later in the podcast, but um, we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> we had black belt. Well, even at that time, as, as I mentioned, we were, I believe, brown belts when we officially opened, uh, and that was in our minds, problems of its own compared to other schools around us that were, you know, traditional based. But, um, yeah, it was, it was great. Yeah, it's interesting you said about treating like a hobby. And this happens very often in with martial arts because no one get into martial arts because they want to make money. It's just they love what they're doing and it's very organic. The idea of start teaching, having your own business and... Uh, you hear all the time you treat your business like a hobby, you will get paid like a hobby and you treat it like a business. We agree. Yes. So now what would you say was the shift that helped you guys to open your eyes for this shift of hobby to more professional? Maybe how long did it take? What did you say, guy? How long did it take to have that kind of like, you know what, let's change a few things here? 
Well, you know, around that time, we started to seek out information. Um, we would go to um, a, a couple of different conferences nice. to try to, you know, people that were more successful than we were when it comes to running a business. Um, so I would say that was probably, you know, the, the biggest thing in terms of, you know, opening our eyes up to, you know, the potentials of what the business could do. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, um, my brother started working for the, for the business full time before I did. Um, and that was kind of out of necessity for itself. He had, uh, he had lost his job at the time and, and the thought process was, well, yeah, no time like the present. Uh, and I, I can let him speak to that, but. Yeah. yeah, it was a funny, it was kind of, well, somewhat funny. It wasn't really funny back then, but I was in a job. Uh, we both actually, you know, I have a degree, uh, an undergraduate degree in psychology. And so after getting out of college, you know, that, that was my primary work, you know, working in the mental health field. And, and at least in the state of North Carolina, over the course of the last 10 to 15 years, uh, funding has dramatically uh, decreased. And I was working in the private sector at the time, and they wanted to, they were slowly letting people go. And they wanted to open up a new facility about an hour away. And I said, they said, they wanted me to go down there and run it. I said, I'm not driving an hour away to work. And they said, well, you either go or we're going to let you go. I said, well, I'm going to have to let me go because uh, I'm not driving. So anyway, um, that was the shift. That was like that, like I said, it's that sink or swim. It's do or die, now or never. And so I jumped on um, and started working full time. And a couple years later, he came on board. It's really interesting. A very common topic that I bring into the podcast too is sometimes undesired outcomes, like you didn't want to lose your job back then at that moment, right? So sometimes an undesired outcome happens and we label as a positive or negative, like, oh, this is negative. I lost this. But when you look back, it was a blessing that really helped Mm -hmm. you as a positive thing. Of course, it was an undesired one when it happened. So I always mention, especially for a lot of the listeners, listening right now maybe you might be going through something that is an undesired outcome right now maybe in the future maybe in a year or two or whatever you're gonna look back and say like man i'm glad that this happened maybe you don't want to hear this right now like no man i'm in the middle of a struggle right now you don't (laughs) i don't want to hear that understand (laughs) yeah but when i look back in my life and i see blocks of like five years or ten years and some of the undesired outcomes and as long as you learn from the situation too it's very important to address and take full responsibility and accept what is i feel that there's a lot of growth involved so for sure it was a a blessing for you that it it paid off maybe it wasn't as maybe the way you wanted but kind of forcing into the situation now what did you say uh, guy, what is the worst entrepreneurial experience that you guys had so far? You know, and I don't know if you both have the same opinion or each one can, I don't know, uh, each one can share one, but what's the one that pops up in your mind? Well, we've been very fortunate. Um, and I've heard some horror stories from other business owners, you know, like being sued or being audited by the IRS and things of that nature. Knock on wood. We've been very fortunate to not have to go through anything like that. I would say, though, the biggest challenge that we've been through is from a financial standpoint, um, you know, not making money for not being compensated for our time for for the first few years, feeling like we're we're literally going backwards. You know, it's a passion project. We're, we're doing what we love, but we're not supporting our families. You know, Rob and I both have families. We both have two kids each um, and, and making that decision to. You know, I read a book uh, once uh, called Profit First. And, you know, after reading, you know, reading that uh, and, and, and kind of having a, a paradigm shift, a thought process shift on how we should view money, you know, uh, that one was a big helper um, when it came to at least that particular problem. What about you, Rob? What do you think of some of the struggles and what did you learn from it? And sometimes could it be like you, like you just mentioned, uh, financial I felt that one with with me, and I've been getting better over the years too. And it was one of my struggles was dealing with staff, um, just because at first you just kind of one man show or two, you two, and next thing you start hiring people and learning about how to deal with personalities and so forth. And uh, for me, uh, staff is definitely a challenge that I've, I made huge improvement, but it, there's always work to be done. So, what did you say, Rob? 
Yeah, I, it's funny you mentioned that. That was actually what I was going to say. Uh, and not so much that we've, we've been fortunate. We've had some great staff. We've had a few that, you know, weren't as great. And, and it could have been to, you know, lack of, of um, training them, you know. And, and again, Absolutely. we're growing and learning in the business. And, and you know, just because you're a great instructor on the mat doesn't necessarily mean you're a great uh, leader for a staff member, you know. Um, so, we're, you know, we're constantly trying to get better at that. Uh, but I think one of the, the biggest and this is just be a takeaway for you know anyone listening. One of the biggest, I think we made one of our first strides, our first hurdles, was when we hired our first front desk person. Um, and not necessarily our first one or even our second one, but the third one who who is still with us to this day. She's been with us probably eight years. Five years, guy. Eight years. No, oh, eight years. Okay. Eight years, Time flies. And she is she's a rock star. She's wonderful. But that person who's the uh, the face of your academy who. who um, who really buys into what it is you're trying to, her son used to train. And so she's very passionate about what we do here. And, and you can tell that when people come in and she's getting a tour, she's talking with folks. But having that person up front where back in the day when it was just me and him, if someone were to walk in and I would have to say, all right, guys, I'll be back in a second. You yep. keep drilling. And I would have to run up front and talk with them. So I think one of the biggest, like I said, jump or strides we made in our business was hiring that first person who who's going to help us make money. You know, and sometimes hiring another instructor doesn't always make you money. I mean, yes, they can keep classes or whatnot, but that person up front for us was one of the biggest ones um, from point A to point B. Yeah, and I feel that a lot of the schools, like I've been through the same progression too, You sometimes you get in that point that, okay, I'm doing okay, but not quite enough to hire someone yet. You right. know, so, and that's the time that you need to gamble and you know what, let's give it a shot. Let's sacrifice a few things here and let's shoot for the best and, exactly. and go for it. And so sometimes people just get a little resistant with that or like, no, but I'm not ready. Um, I drive my wife crazy with this because she's always like, you're always doing stuff when you don't have them. I'm like, exactly. You know, that, <laughs> that is the whole point of being an entrepreneur, you know? And, but I tell her like, I, I feel like I'm a quarterback that, you know, like I'm not going to hit every throw I, I go and I'm not going to land every time as a throw as a catch or a touchdown. You know what I mean? Right. I'm going to overthrow. There are things that are out of my control being intercepted. I don't know. It's just I just going to not because I didn't get the, t the touchdown or whatever that I'm not going to keep swinging. You know, I'm still going to going to throw it. But sometimes it doesn't work. And a lot of the times, most of the risks that I took as far as doing stuff when I couldn't afford, they paid off, at least for me. It took a little bit, but it's one of those things that, you know, you, you think about the worst case and what's the worst case scenario, this and that, and you go through. So that's something that I think makes a big difference of having that little jump that you guys have. It's feeling a little bit of that anxiety pulling the trigger and like let's go which lead me to the to the next topic to talk with you guys a little before uh we start recording uh guy you're talking about um if only mindset which means if yes, i sir. only had more students i could get from that person if i only had this and then now do that right. and that prevents people from growing well won't Growing business, I'm going to say sometimes prevent people from even starting their business, but let's say they already have their business, but taking to another level because there's only that kind of mindset. So I would love you to expand on that. Okay. Um, so for us, the, um, the if only mindset was, a, it's, it's a basically a limiting mindset. It's a negative negative thoughts that, that we were having in our mind. I remember vividly one day we were sitting in the backyard, uh, me, my wife, my brother, his wife, and we were having the conversation. We were still brown belts under Gustavo at the time. And we were, you know, in the midst of really trying to get our business going and grow it and everything. And I remember specifically saying, if we were only black belts, then we would have more students. And if we had more students, well, the business would be fine. But, you know, uh, eight years, 10 years later, I know that's not really true, you know, because I've learned a lot from a lot of different mentors and, and, you know, the thought process has changed a lot since then. But for us, the if only mindset was a very negative, very limiting 
process of, of, of thought process of how we saw things back then. Um, and so making the, the effort to, to overcome those hurdles and, and the way we were thinking was one of the biggest um, improvements that we've made in business. And what would you say, Rob, for some people, for some of the listeners who maybe are resonating with what you're saying, they're like, man, that's exactly what I do. I'm, I'm consistently doing this. If, if only this, only that. What would you recommend to someone that is maybe struggling with this kind of mindset? Maybe something that's going to help them to move the needle a little bit. Yeah, it's, you know, and just to reiterate a little bit about what he's saying, oftentimes I hear when, uh, when I hear other people speak of this, you know, they refer to it as the scarcity mindset. Mm-hmm. You're so much focused on uh, what's not going to happen or what's negative or what's bad that you don't ever focus on the positive, right? Um, and if you don't focus on the positive, that, that will never come about. So for me, you know, as far as the advice that I would give, I know oftentimes, it might be a bad analogy, but I'll be sitting at home and I know that things need to be done, but I'm like, oh, I'm just so tired. I don't want to do it right now. I find if I just get up and start doing it, I'll get into the mood of it. I'll get in the mood where I'll, I'll like, I'll get that reinforcement that, all right, I'm getting things done. I'm knocking it out. I'm feeling better about it, right? So I think for a lot of people, you know, as hard as it is, try to focus on not the negative, but the positive. Man, if I only had 10 more students, okay, well, how can we turn that into a positive? We'll set a goal. I need X numbers in this month to make this much money, make that a goal. Don't just say, I need 10 more students. That's pretty broad and, and bland. So focus on the positive, but then start taking action on it. I think for a lot of people, I know we're guilty of it back in the day, is take more action. Just take action. Even you were sort of alluding to it earlier. Take action. Even if it's the wrong thing, you're at least going to learn from it, and then you just move on, right? So it's the same thing we tell our students. You go in and compete win that's okay what did you learn from it and they'll usually tell you okay great so you didn't lose anything i mean you lost a match but you learned something out of it you know so for me it's just just simply take action even if i don't want to say if it's the wrong action hopefully we're not doing that but take action and you'll be moving the needle forward even if it's not 100 percent what you wanted you're getting more than doing nothing focusing on the negative yeah and i feel that i always suggest to people even like simple things to help during this process is make sure that you always consume some type of like personal development content or business content, something that's going to help you through your journey. And especially in the morning that when you wake up, sometimes maybe you have, I don't know, maybe you had a rough day the night before and it woke up already kind of negative and it got a spiral. So I always suggest because I have my morning routine and I always do my about 20 to 30 minutes uh, stretching as soon as I wake up and just come to my office, just lay on a carpet and do my sequence. And I always go to YouTube and I put some type of personal development, some type of like positive information that I just do my stretch and I'm just listening. So okay. just to start the day, you know, don't start and turn the news and see like, oh my God, you know, there's, you know, there was a shooting this and there's, you know, it just started reading bad. So I always suggest to people, I say like, man, if you don't have time, why? it doesn't matter why you're, while you're just doing your breakfast, put in your phone a little YouTube, just type inspirational video, whatever, just let it play, you know, just kind of get, you know, the information to, to sink in. So that's something I've been doing for a long time. So I always try to be aware of this. And because sometimes when you, when you start already the day negative, man, it's just kind of this, the vicious cycle, just keep going, gets a lot of momentum. If something the non-desired outcome happens and then it gets more momentum and more frustration. So absolutely uh, take action. This would be a good action to take. Just invest your time in some personal development. So it seems that you, it was great to hear that you, you guys start doing that early as far as going to conventions and stuff like that, that really helped. And I think more people starting to, I still, people I think sometimes get a little, skeptical of investing and and a knowledge but i mean it's not every book that you're going to buy that's going to be groundbreaking or every uh conference that you're going to go like oh my god this blew my mind it's sometimes going to be like yeah it was okay you know there's something like wow this guy said one thing that worth the whole weekend you know Mm -hmm. so super important now let's uh shift gears here let's talk about high performance habit so, Guy, what would you say it's a habit that you practice daily that has helped you in all aspects of your life? 
Um, I would say being consistent. I mean, I, it, it's not groundbreaking, um, but some of the, so Rob and I, the way we've structured our, as the two co-owners of our business, you know, um, he has certain responsibilities. I have certain responsibilities. Uh, and there's some things that we, we collaborate on and we do together related to the business. Um, those things that, that I do myself are more on the marketing end of things. Rob is more of the, the stats guy. He keeps up, he tracks certain things, payroll, stuff of that nature. But with my job and my responsibilities, you know, I have an order of operation daily that I keep up with, weekly, um, monthly, um, things that have to get done. And there's, um, there's no if, ets, or buts. You know, they have to get done. They're non-negotiables, um, particularly with, with the things that I'm responsible for. Like, let's say, for example, like, um, you know, posting to Facebook, Instagram, Google My Business. You know, these are like some of the online marketing related things that, that are my job. And there's no, you know, I've got to be consistent. I got to do it every day. There's not, I'm not going to miss a day because it's that important to the business to, to be able to move us forward. So consistency for me is the number one, I guess, performance habit uh, mm -hmm. that I think is, you know, if I'm 1% better every day, awesome. Um, and I, that's what I'm trying to do with my business is to improve it 1% every day. Yeah. And talking about consistency, just for the mm -hmm. listeners who we have 72 episodes right now on episode 17, we had Vitor Shaolin, three-time Black Belt World Champion, a personal friend of mine. The title of the podcast is Consistency is the Key to Success. So if you guys want to check it out, it's a great episode too, which is very true. You know, just doing the compound effect every day, doing a little bit at the end of the year will make big difference. So what did you say, Rob, about you? What habit do you practice daily? Well, if I can, um, I don't, not necessarily a habit per se, but something that when I, when I, you know, kind of read this prior to the podcast is doing this. Uh, for me, I think one of the biggest things that's impacted us is having a mentor. Um, it's not necessarily a habit I'm practicing every day. But this men, the mentors I've had over the years, we would speak, not every day, but maybe once every couple of weeks or once a month or things of this nature. So I think having a mentor um, that had one, when we first started, we thought we knew what we were doing. We didn't know what we were doing. I mean, not even close. And when we started going to these conferences and, and speaking with mentors and whatnot, you know, your eyes get big. You're like, I didn't, I didn't realize you know, all these things that you had to keep in mind and run a successful business, you know, let alone a business uh, or a martial arts school. So for me, when it comes, it, it's one thing to find a mentor that can, everyone says, find a mentor that, that has what you want and then where you want to go, you know. Uh, for me, what's even more important than that is finding one that you, you gel with, that you you have shared values, right? It's it, I don't want a mentor that's, you know, a butthole. You know what I'm saying? I need to find one that, one, knows what I'm going through, has been where I want to be, um, and that I know they have my back and that we share a common, um, we, we share common values, you know? I mean, we have a sign that we hang up in our school. It's our core focus and values. I want to know that my mentor and I have the same core focus and the same values. Me, that's big. You know? Nice. So what did you say, Guy, best advice you've ever received? Doesn't matter what area of life, professional, personally, anything that pops up in your mind. Best advice I've ever been given. Um, to, if, you're gonna, if you want a business that pays like a business, treat it like a business. If you want it to pay like a hobby, treat it like a hobby. You know, to take it serious. You know, and, and most of the things Rob and I have done in life, you know, we take it serious. We, we, we want to produce, when we were first running tournaments back in the day, it was, it was a really small, I think we had 70 competitors. Uh, it was a nonprofit event. So it wasn't like we're even making money doing this, but we wanted to put out the best possible service, best possible product. So that when people came, they had the best experience, whether it's at a nonprofit tournament or they're coming into my academy to get training, you know, we want them to have the, the best possible experience. Um, so treating this like a like a real business, one that that can thrive and that I can support my family with. Absolutely. What about you, Rob? 
Um, I would say probably, and this is, you know, uh, a quote that when we were living in New York and Enzo would say, it's never fall deaf to other people's knowledge, you know, no matter who they are. So I don't know why that just stuck with me over the years, but, you know, and what he was referring to it as is I could be a black belt, but I could see a white belt who could teach me something. I'm not going to not listen to them just because they're a white belt, you know? Same thing in life, you know, uh, people that are younger than you, older than you, you know, different sex, a different religion, a different, you know, ethnicity. Just because we're different doesn't mean I can't learn from you. So it's, I'm not going to automatically not listen to you just because of those things. So again, that's just something that ever since we, we were living up there and he would say, you know, never, uh, never be deaf to other, other people's knowledge. I just, so I try to, we try to use that. Daily. Nice. Now, Guy, what did you say? What advice would you give to your younger version, let's say back in 2007 when you started the academy, if you could have a conversation with a younger version, not that you want anything different, you know what I mean? Right. Because you, you are where you at in your life because of the choices that you made in, in, and happy with it because you know, it's just part of the journey. But let's say on this 11, well, there's about 12 years uh, journey, what advice would you give to your younger self? So oftentimes when, when students come, if you were to ask a, I'm going to relate this back to what my answer is. If you were to ask, I would say nine out of 10 jujitsu students that have been doing jujitsu for, for a while, what one thing would you change? And usually the most common answer is I wish I'd have gotten started sooner. Mm -hmm. I wish I was doing the, you know, like I had a karate black, black belt, right? Man, I wish I was doing this when I started doing karate. You know what I mean? Um, so if I had to say, what advice would I give to myself back then? Just to, just to, just do it. Just get started. You know, don't, 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 don't listen to the fears in your head. Just go ahead and jump both feet in and, and let's get going. I got it. What about you, Rob? Yeah, I mean, pretty similar to what he said. It's just, just take risks earlier. You know, it's that, that whole, you know, you have that negative loop in your head and you're listening to your fears and, and what your mom, uh, mom said or your dad said, or yeah, that's never going to work or, Actually, we, we had a stepmom growing up, and oftentimes, I don't know if y'all remember this, but she would say, you'll never be able to do that as a business. That's like, because at least in our area, it's, there weren't really a whole lot of martial arts schools, you know, and, um, and especially profitable ones or ones that were big and, you know, but so it's just not, it's just taking risks, not listening to other people. I mean, you care about what other people think, but you don't at the same time, right? Um, but jump, like you said, jump both feet in uh, right away and sooner. Yeah, when I have mentioned podcast before too, that when I decided that I want to pursue jujitsu, my mom was not very happy. You know, saying like you're not gonna make any money, you're not gonna be su successful. I always mentioned yeah. that um, she had different people have different perceptions about the meaning of the word success, and her perception that's what she saw from my grandparents that uh, they they brought any changes over the years. This is what is expected to be considered. Uh, successful and since I was a teenager I would say like probably was about 12 when I really decided like man I don't I don't, I don't want people telling me what to do so I, I didn't know anything about entrepreneurship or whatever it's just I just always come to my mind like I just want people telling me what to do and I think that was a transition that as soon as I I started getting more involved with jiu-jitsu and stuff and I mentioned to her that that's what I was going to pursue I even though I did go to college and but she, uh, for physical education but she was not having it but and eventually she that's the mindset that she had at that moment you know now like she's she's 73 she's uh, uh my best friend and we talk about all that about like how was her mindset back then and it was with the best intention possible you know what i mean that's just kind of yeah. to she uh, like your your stepmom was trying to protect you you know like she was trying to do the best for you yeah life. like yep. listen you know i'm trying to tell you i'm trying to save you from pain don't do that and, right and that's uh, and the, the tough part is that you you have we must have the social awareness which is part of the emotional intelligence of being able to recognize you don't have to accept everything that people are telling you if they they might be passing their own insecurities to you you don't have to accept you be like okay i understand what you're saying but let's agree and disagree and i feel that a lot of people uh, i don't know feel bad about agreeing and disagreeing with family but uh, i'm a parent and i don't know what is the best 
for my son all the time, especially now he's 19. So he's going to make his mistakes. He's going to get the things right or wrong or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'll support him the best way possible. But um, yeah, it, it definitely paying attention to what people are saying. So don't buy into that. Now let's talk about books. So I know that you guys like books. And Guy, what did you say? One book that has made a big impact on you? Of course, different moments, different topics and so forth. But what's a book that pops up in your mind and why? Uh, the, the one that kind of stood out for me was The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. Mm-hmm. Um, from a business standpoint, it really brought to light the necessity to, to put systems and processes in place. But not only that, also to document those systems and processes so that as you build your team, uh, they can follow those systems and processes. You know, it doesn't have to be just, you know, when Rob and I first started, like he was saying earlier, where, you know, someone walks in, I got to stop teaching classes to run up and, and to start to build the team of people that can run the business for you, you know, and yeah, that was probably the book. one. Yeah, that's it's a great book. Um, so that was probably one of my big, the biggest one for me early on in starting the business. What did you say, Rob? Uh, for me, I think the myth of multitasking by Dave Crenshaw. Um, I've never been the most organized person in the world, and getting things done sometimes is kind of tough. Uh, my wife says I'm the king of sticky notes. So that book it really put it into perspective. Like in order to be, you know, kind of performing at your highest level, you can't constantly be stopping and basically the book if no one's read it there's no such thing as multitasking they call it switch tasking you're going from one thing to another thing to another thing and it was just sort of opening uh, the gate stats in there as far as you know to go if, if you were to be interrupted in the middle of a task how long it takes to get back on track was just astounding um so for me it's been you know kind of learning how to get better at shutting everything off getting myself away so there's no distractions you know uh, blocking out time and focusing on just one thing, not, you know, constantly looking at my phone every mm. second, you know? So for yeah. me, it, that was just, and that, again, that's a personal thing, you know, from a being more organized, being more productive, getting more, especially when you, when you're the owner of a business, you got a lot of stuff on your plate. And again, it's early on, we were the janitors, we were the people to mop the mask, we tall, we ran up front, we did it all. So it was even harder back then. But so I would say, you know, the miserable task. So uh, what I'm just writing down the, the topic so I can put on the notes. What's the name again? Myth? The Myth of Multitasking. Okay. The Myth of Multitasking. Okay. And it was, I'm uh, pretty sure it's Dave Crenshaw who, who wrote that. Cool. I'll put in the, the notes for the listeners who are interested. Now, we're getting close to the end of the interview. And for people who are listening for the first time, after the interview, I reflect on what was said and I... Think about the takeaway, do some research, and I create an audio from five to 12 minutes with the content to inspire, impact, and improve your life in some way. So I have an idea where I'm going, but it's always a challenge for people who have been listening know that I do put a lot of effort and a lot of thought into I don't want to just put a, an audio just for the hell of it. I want to make mm-hmm. sure that it, it does make an impact. So uh, make sure you stick around after the interview. So Let's, uh, well, I want you to expand a little bit on the nonprofit okay. organization that you, you guys have. So, Guy, uh, can you talk a little bit about it? You mentioned about sure. you had tournaments before and where yeah. you guys at with that. Okay. So, back in 2003, um, Rob and I lost our dad to uh, a blood cancer called leukemia. And so, the following year, um, as a way to remember him, uh, we started a, non, a, a 501c3 nonprofit uh, and its sole purpose was to raise money uh, for leukemia research. And so for that 10, from 2004 until 2014, we ran tournaments. And all the proceeds from the tournaments was donated to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society in North Carolina, uh, which is a part of a larger um, organization that raises money for leukemia research. And then in 2015, we decided to make the switch, um, as you no, from running tournaments, uh, it's not the easiest thing in the world. Uh, very stressful, uh, along with working full time and running an academy and trying to run the nonprofit and everything. So we made the switch to doing uh, a rollathon, um, 
And so the format that we incorporated um, for the role of thons is, you know, we, we've been in jujitsu for a very long time and a lot of our friends are black belts now. And we would invite them in to do little mini seminars mm-hmm. as well as, so we had at our current location, we have two training floors. So on one floor, we're running seminars, little mini seminars, just from local black belts. Um, and then on the other floor, it's just constant rolling. So I think the first year, was it 12, 12 hours the first year, Rob, I believe? Yeah. Yep. yep. So the first the first year we did that rollathon, it was twelve hours of nonstop rolling, uh, wow. with some with some seminars sprinkled in there. And so all the money that we raised from there, you know, as an admission to the rollathon, you donate whatever you want to five dollars, ten dollars, fifty dollars, whatever you wanted to do, and that was your admission to get in. Roll as much as you want. Hit some of the seminars. Um, so yeah, this will be our fourth year. This year will be our fourth year running the uh, the rollathon. Uh, and actually, last year, we started doing a kids version. So we invite other schools from the local area to have their kids come in. We have a few uh, guest instructors. The kids get to make friends with, with kids that they don't normally get to see outside of a tournament environment. Um, and they get to learn a little bit, roll with kids they don't normally get to roll with. And we have our next one actually planned in October. October tw- I don't remember the date on it. But, so how many uh, do you how many you guys do in a year? Once a year? Or? It's just once a year. It's okay. uh when we were doing the tournaments, we were up to two tournaments a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now that we're in the the rollathon uh, format, we've done the kids version, and then normally we do our adult um, rollathon, usually the first part of December. Got it. And now, uh, Rob, tell us what is exciting going on with you guys' academy plans. What do you guys uh, have going on? Well. Yeah, well, we just recently moved into a new location. We're in our, what we call, version 3.0. Um, again, because we took it sort of conservatively, our first spot, I think, was roughly 1,200 square feet, maybe. Uh, pretty small, you know. Uh, the dressing room in the back was 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 office slash dressing room, you know. Uh, but we outgrew that. So we've always uh, moved because out of necessity. So we went from our first location, which was about 1,200, into a 1,800-square-foot space, which had an adjoining suite. Uh, we, we were there for about seven years, and uh, maybe five years in, we expanded into the spot next door. So we went from 1,800 to 3,600 square feet. Nice. And mid of last year, we moved into our new location, which is just over 4,700 square feet. Uh, very similar format. Like I said, we have two training floors, uh, a nice lobby up front. So it's, it's really nice. So really, we're going to be here for a while. So nothing new yet on the, as far as our front goes. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, personally, we're doing some things outside of our business. Uh, we're able to kind of step back and, um, you know, we have staff now, which is great. We still both teach some kids and adults and whatnot, you know, more advanced classes. But we both now work a little bit on the side with um, an organization called GrowPro, uh, where we run Facebook ads and whatnot. So that's kind of a, a skill set that we picked up a while back, and we're now utilizing that in a, in a personal way to help other martial arts school owners. So that's pretty exciting. Awesome. And uh, uh, Guy, can you just share with us website? People want to know more about sure. uh, you guys. Uh, our website, which is kind of old now, it's uh, www.bjjnc.com. All righty. Guys, thank you so much. It has been fun doing the uh, the interview with two people at the same time. So that was fun. I really appreciate your guys' time. And yes, thank you so much. Thank you, sir. It was great doing it. Yes. And for all the listeners, stick around for my final thoughts. Who's... Let me share with you my final thoughts from the interview with the Jiu-Jitsu Black Belts guy and Rob Pendergrass. If you're listening just to the final thoughts on Instagram TV at Gustavo Dantas BJJ, they are co-owners and operators of the Pendergrass Academy of Martial Arts in Raleigh, North Carolina, founded in 2007. This was the first time I interviewed two people at the same time, and I believe you will enjoy this format as well. They talked about treating your business like a business, not as a hobby. If you operate as a business, you will be compensated financially as a business, and if you operate as a hobby, you will be compensated accordingly. My main takeaway from the interview came when we talked about what they call the if-only mindset. 
if I only had more money, if I only had more time, if I only were more intelligent, if I only had started earlier and so on, which inspired me to title this episode, Avoiding the If Only Mindset. The if only mindset is also known as the fixed mindset. And today I'm going to share with you the concept of the fixed mindset and the growth mindset. If you're a hardcore listener of the podcast, most likely you've heard me talking about these two mindsets in at least two final thoughts. And I tell you what, the growth and fixed mindset is one of the most important concepts that I have ever shared with you on the podcast. So for this reason, I'm going to be sharing it with you again. If you already have listened to it, it will be a useful review. If not, this is an excellent information for you to apply in your personal and professional life. One of the most important books that I have ever read and recommend to everyone is called Mindset, The New Psychology of Success by Dr. Carol Dweck. In decades of research on achievement and success, she wondered why some people avoid challenges and or crumble when faced with difficulties while others thrive and achieve their highest potential. Through the years, she developed the concept that there are two types of mindsets, fixed mindset and growth mindset. Essentially, Dr. Dweck states that people with a fixed mindset believe that basic qualities like intelligence and talent are fixed traits and that these traits are responsible for success. On the other hand, there is the growth mindset in which people believe that new abilities can be developed through practice. This view creates the love for learning and improving. I will expand a little more on the difference between the two. In one of her experiments with how kids deal with failure, she decided to get a series of puzzles to them, starting with easy levels to more challenging ones. One kid during the hard puzzle said, I love a challenge. Another one said, I was hoping this would be informative. (laughs) So she realized they didn't think they were failing at all. They were learning. And Carol, at the time, during the 70s, thought that human qualities were carved in stone, basically saying you are smart or you weren't, and failure meant you weren't. If you could arrange success and avoid failures, you could stay smart, which is a common trait of fixed mindset or if-only mindset. Struggles, mistakes, and perseverance were just not part of being smart, in quotations, picture. So here are a few core differences between the two mindsets in five areas. The first one, skills. People with fixed mindset, they believe that it's something that you're born with. Now, with a growth mindset, they believe that it comes from hard work and you can always improve. The second one regards to challenges. The fixed mindset believes that this is something to avoid. They could reveal lack of skill and tend to give up easily. On the other hand, growth mindset, they feel that challenges should be embraced, an opportunity to grow. The third one is effort. Fixed mindset believe that is unnecessary, something that you do when you're not good enough. And for the growth mindset is essential, a path to mastery. The fourth one regards to feedback. Fixed mindset gets defensive and takes it personally. Now, the growth mindset, they find useful, something to learn from, and to identify areas to improve. And the last one regarding setbacks. People with a fixed mindset, they blame others and get discouraged. On the other hand, the growth mindset, they use as a wake-up call to work harder next time. I read an article from PositivePsychologyProgram.com about mindset researches and so forth, and I'd like to read to you this information. Quote, Research has shown that what makes students succeed is quite different from their cognitive abilities or the quality of the instructions they receive. Their success, in fact, depends on their belief about their intelligence and their abilities. In other words, their success depends on their mindset. Other researches show that youngsters who believed or accepted that their personal characteristics can be developed, growth mindset, had notably lower aggressive tendencies and felt lower stress in response to the pressure from their peer group. Moreover, Dweck showed that accepting or learning that intelligence is fixed and unchangeable makes students think that the difficulties they face is the sign of their intellectual deficiencies or make them look dumb. In experiments with school children, Dr. Dweck found a surprising result. Praising children's talent and 
intelligence ruins their motivation and lowers their academic performance. Of course, praising children's talents will make them happy and proud, but only for a short while. As soon as they face a challenge or a setback, their confidence fade away. Because if success is a sign that they are smart, failure should mean they lack talent and proves them dumb, fixed mindset. Dr. Dweck suggests that we should avoid praising our children's talent or intelligence and instead praise them for diligence, effort, and consciousness, growth mindset, unquote. Maybe there are areas in your life that you feel that you have more of a fixed mindset or if-only mindset based on your previous experience and beliefs, and others you have more of a growth mindset. Nevertheless, the first step of four steps in changing our defeating fixed mindset to a growth mindset is self-awareness, to recognize your fixed mindset in action. Here are a few steps to change the fixed mindset to growth mindset. Step one, as I mentioned, self-awareness. We talk a lot about this in the podcast. Ask yourself, do you think about what do you think about? Think about that. So pay attention to your dark passenger, the negative voice that lives in your head and keeps telling you all those negative patterns, doubts, and insecurities. And keep that in mind. Negative patterns, they don't disappear. You learn how to become conscious of them. And self-awareness is the first step. Here's a simple jujitsu example. Someone says, man, every time I play guard, someone passes. I'm not a guard player. I'm a top player. Have you ever heard of Henry Ford's quote, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right? If this is what you believe, so it's true in your head. However, you can choose a different thought, which leads to the second step, which is step two, understanding that you have a choice, so choose wisely. You don't have to stick with a fixed mindset. You must challenge this thought, which is the step number three. Step three is stand up for yourself. Because if you don't, your dark passenger will act like a bully in your mind saying you're not a guard player. And you can fight back and you can say, I'm not a guard player yet. I will improve. That is a growth mindset. Now that you're talking back to your dark passenger, go to step number four. Step four is Take the growth mindset action. Now that you're standing for yourself, take on a new challenge, learn from setbacks, persist without exception, adjust your actions based on feedback, and so on. Take massive action, and you will see massive improvement. To close this episode, I would like to remind you that the path that your life takes depends in part on the mindset that you adopt. And as Tony Robbins said, it's in your moments of decision that your destiny is shaped. So choose your mindset wisely. We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. But the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com.